And the render distance starts here. Good morning, Joel. Good morning, Johnny. The render distance? What's that? Uh, yes, <laughs> we should probably explain <laughs> to everybody who has tuned into the main podcast feed this week. Welcome to the extended edition of the Spawn Chunks, which we call the Render Distance, and it normally goes out to our patrons, people who have pledged to support the show on Patreon. But in celebration of this being episode 100 of the show, we thought we would release the extended edition for everybody so that you all get a peek behind the curtain about what it's like to be part of our patreon community and so that you can hear a little bit about the you know hear a little bit of the chit chat that joel and i usually share before we start the main show which is sometimes minecraft related sometimes just a little bit of stuff that's going on in our lives what we've been up to lately and of course if you want to skip this and just get straight to the minecraft segment of the show we completely understand but it's, uh, you know, we tend to wax lyrical on the show anyway, so I'm sure you guys wouldn't mind us just chatting at you a little bit beforehand. So what did you do this weekend, dude? Anything fun? This weekend, I dipped back into Dungeons & Dragons with my usual group. Um, after having leveled up last time and done, like, a very brief scene, this time it was more open-world exploration for them. I kind of gave them a bit more of an open-ended scenario where they're just set loose in this city and have a few places that they can go. They went and got their weapons reforged and had a chat in the pub about the way the plot has gone and the motivations of the villain, uh, which is pretty exciting to hear your players talk about something that, like, in my head, I know more or less what is going on with the campaign, which is a homebrew thing I've been working on myself. So I'm, I'm writing the plot, sketching out all of these characters, and a lot of it is, like, improvised in the moment, and then I build on that when I take notes for whatever the next session is going to be, right? And now, hearing the players talk about what they think is going on, and how much of it they've got right, and how much of it they are still, like, way off the mark on, is really fun for me. Um, so yeah, aside from that, they, they jumped back into another... Um, ruin Dive, which is what they've been calling the uh, sort of exploratory dungeon crawling stuff they've been doing under the city. And for folks who are listening to the show who haven't heard the Render Distance before, uh, my Dungeons & Dragons campaign is taking its cues a little bit from the procedural generation of games like Minecraft and Minecraft Dungeons in that I basically have the players roll a dice and I have a set of options for what the next room in the dungeon can be. Uh, so every time they roll a d4, I'm choosing from four options, and then that is what whatever comes up on the d4 is the number of the room that they go into in my notes, which can be a puzzle, it can be a monster encounter, it can be like a couple of other things. And it adds a, an element of fun, randomness, and exploration for them that I think is kind of cool. That's really cool. Not to mention that, I mean, because you've prepared these four, uh, four scenarios, for example, it, it takes the... I don't want to say the decision making out of your hands, but it 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 means that you're not like guiding them through, if that makes sense. Like yeah, you, there's 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 choices, and then there's chance, you know, and yes. I, and that that enters in a, a that creates a more interesting, I think, adventure, especially if like there's a situation where they are wholly not prepared for a monster encounter and that's what they roll <laughs> yes exactly like i think one of the major complaints i have heard about dungeons and dragons campaigns in the past and it is one that mainly applies to stuff like the podcasts i've been listening to because i haven't really been much of a part of any dungeons and dragons adventures myself this is like my first campaign and i am dming it but i've heard that people really don't like being on rails and the, the group that I am mm. part of are all still first-time players themselves, so sometimes a little bit of guidance helps them. 
but I also want them to have an experience where they feel like they're exploring the environment and it's throwing everything at them. And yeah, I also don't want to structure a dungeon in such a way that it becomes either obvious what I am trying to do with it or repetitive for them. And I, I want them to feel like they have agency whilst also kind of casting themselves to the whims of fate every now and again. So it makes it exciting for both parties in this because, yeah, on, on the one hand, I don't have to do... I have to do a little bit more work preparing all of these things, but I don't have to worry about, is this all going to be in service of the plot? And this stuff is a lot more like the loot grind that happens before they get on with the story missions, which mm. is, is the way I've been thinking about it. And that happens a lot in other video games that I play as well, so it's kind of fun to uh, to play around with stuff like that. I'm a side mission junkie. Like yeah. I, it's one of the reasons why I still have never finished Borderlands 2. It's just because I just I keep on wanting to complete all the nodes in my area before I move on, and it, it takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> when it's a good game, and that's and something that's really nice about that is too is that you know for two reasons. One, I'm a completionist. I'm aware of that. But two, I just I genuinely enjoy the exploration and finding what's out there, and 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 in 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 a lot of cases it makes the game easier for you long term it takes longer but because of all the stuff that you found or if there's any kind of monetary system in a game like borderlands then you end up with much better gear because you can buy better stuff you know yes. so that 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 really difficult boss encounter like at mid game it's you're just kind of like well it was difficult but i still survived because i had this you know <laughs> like some yeah. some amazing you know weapon or ability or something like that that you've unlocked far ahead of other players because they went solely story mission you know yes yeah um, i'm i'm a big fan of like the the loot grind and the kind of like side quests for rewards approach to stuff like japanese rpgs also have this which is like the games that i grew up playing really was that, you know, you could breeze through the main story and it might be a more balanced challenge for you if you didn't do any of the side missions and get, like, the secret weapons from the ultimate dungeons and that kind of stuff. And then you go to the final boss and it's actually, like, a more balanced experience. I was very much not that player. I was the one who would go and do all of the optional stuff and beat the optional bosses before I beat the end bosses, who are, largely speaking, very underpowered by the time you've done everything you can do in, like, a Final Fantasy game, for example. And so, yeah, I, I'm trying not to get that way with the Dungeons & Dragons stuff, where I just give them stuff that's going to make them OP by the end of the fight. But then, that's the cool thing about D&D as well, is being able to uh, make up a few extra numbers on the fly, and you can scale the encounters based on the party's abilities, instead of it mm. all being programmed ahead of time like it is with with rpgs uh, games, on, yeah yeah video games but um yeah it's it's been a really fun experience and we're actually looking to do a little bit more um in the near future because a couple of our friends have just peripherally heard that we're playing D D now and asked us how that's going and while obviously we're still trying to do things remotely we're thinking of bringing in a couple of other people and doing like a couple of one shots and um yeah some friends who've been interested but haven't played before or have not played for a while we could potentially uh yeah br bring in a couple of people and do like little one-off sessions here and there which would be kind of fun i know i've mentioned this ages ago when we first started talking about D and my tabletop experience but um one of the first times if not the first time i played a tabletop rpg was at a convention called nertacular in utah years ago and it was a one-off star wars rpg so you were very familiar with the world. So it was what's, what was nice about that is that as they were describing what was going on, you know what a battle droid looked like. So you didn't yeah. have to 
you know, I mean, you could you could imagine the scene, and you had to kind of like set up the the scenario in your brain, but you had the visual reference from all the movies and video games that you could just kind of like piece together as to what was going on. The, so it was the very pr- clear. The production, the production design is done for you, basically. Yeah, yeah. The art direction was all done, and so so that was really cool, and it was a lot of fun. And we had like a mixed bag of people. There was a, no Jedi's. That was the rule. Um, but we had like an Ewok with a, like a little blaster. We had uh, a Wookiee. I can't remember what I played. I might have been the Wookiee, or I might have been, I might have been like a smuggler type character. But it was cool. We had to basically. I mean, the, the scenario was basically just like get into the hangar, um, and get access to the get get into the hangar and get access so that you could get on the ship and escape. And the battle droids are trying to block your escape. And so there was uh, some puzzle things, open doors, and then also some some battle with the droids and, and whatnot it was fun it was it was really cool the one-off thing is nice because for people that don't you know they want to try D or they want to get into it but then they just don't want they don't necessarily know if they can commit to weeks upon weeks of regular play yeah campaign stuff that's when yeah. when i started out with my group i wrote a one shot and said well we'll just do this to see if we like it and it turns out they did <laughs> so we kept the same characters and we kept going but yeah it's uh it's like that. There's there's a couple of other systems that I want to try out. There's some that are way more complex and some that are way more simple. Um, the One of the other podcasts I listened to just started an arc in a newly developed RPG that I think they are still the only ones who have full access to like the core rulebook, um, like an early draft of it at least. Uh, but the system is called Still Fleet, and it takes place in like a very, very distant future sci-fi setting, which I think is phenomenal. It's the kind of stuff that I grew up reading when I was like in my mid-teens, um, all the kind of like sci-fi masterworks of the 70s and 80s and it has very much that like very weird take on what uh, sci-fi with real aliens could be um, mm. and yeah there's there's some there's some cool systems out there I've, I just keep hearing more and more about it now that I'm getting more and more into D&D and seeing ways it could branch out from there what are the podcasts that you're listening to for D&D um, I've been listening a lot to The Adventure Zone, especially some of the earlier episodes of that are very fun, and they have some really nice, like, short arcs of about, sort of, you know, six to ten episodes that are very thematic, um, and there's a couple of really good examples of, like, carefully plotted out scenarios in that. Um, Adventure Zone has gone through a couple of different arcs of some other systems, and they're now back to playing D&D for their latest campaign. Um, Friends at the Table is one that changes system basically every campaign they do, um, and right now they have a system, I can't remember what it's called, but it's got a lot of mechs and stuff in it, so it's much more of like a sci-fi Gundam style, uh, not not Gangnam style, Gundam style uh, <laughs> setting for it, and... Yeah, there's there's a there's a few others. Fun City is the one that was playing Shadowrun and is now playing Steel Fleet. Um, there's also a D&D podcast that I recommend frequently, but with the proviso that it is a very adult show, uh, which is called Rude Tales of Magic, uh, which is D&D, but yeah, very explicit and hilariously funny if you're into that kind of thing. But if you're the kind of person who balks at swear words and lewd stuff, definitely avoid it. <laughs> it will not be for you. Um, but yeah, anyone who's into adult humor and wacky stuff of the kind of like, I, I want to say a Rick and Morty level, and I don't know if that will be an insult to the creators of Rude Tales because I don't know how they feel about Rick and Morty in general. <laughs> Tends to be kind of a controversial show, but um, yeah, it's it's that sort of level of like brash, brazen kind of humor that really kind of sets the tone of the show. I do find it tricky sometimes when you're recommending podcasts having spent now several years doing minecraft content minecraft podcasts with you uh lots of streams stuff like that 
uh, now I, I'm always self-conscious of passing people on to another content creator or podcast or something that I like. And then I have to put a big asterisk next to it. By the way, <laughs> earphones and no small humans nearby because yeah because because adults talk like adults sometimes yes my, and, my, uh, my favorite way of addressing that was i think alex hirsch the creator of gravity falls had this in his twitter bio a while ago he said i may swear sometimes because i'm a human adult <laughs> I, i've always just preferred that as like obviously we don't swear on this show and i tend to keep my own content family friendly but people yeah. occasionally come into my twitch chat and like do you swear occasionally in videos i'm like yes i sometimes swear intentionally in videos i just always cut it out because i don't want people to like have to hear that if there's especially younger viewers and listeners and stuff but yeah, yeah. it's it's one of those things where like we're we're adults you know we're, we're mature and yeah. we're comfortable with that level of stuff and you know <laughs> other people don't have to hear it and something that I find really fun about the Citadel Cafe is is that, again, we don't swear a lot or use a lot of vulgar language on the show itself in our conversation. But because of the content that we cover, like, you know, we did years of watching Game of Thrones, lots of stuff on HBO, a lot of that kind of stuff is, you know, would be considered quite risky for, you know, not, not a family audience for that kind of stuff. So you can't have a family-friendly podcast when you're talking about stuff like Game of Thrones. Um, but what's funny about having friends on, uh, yourself included, um, on the Citadel Cafe, uh, when I do content and in, when I interact with people in Twitch, it's all family friendly. And then on the Citadel Cafe is like the one spot where everybody gets to swear. And so yeah. when I hear a friend that I know isn't another adult and I know swears on a regular basis, comes onto the Citadel Cafe and swears on mic with me, there's it's that little kind of like aha moment of like, ooh, that was fun. <laughs> like I yeah. get, you know, it's like a little look behind the curtain of like, hey, there's the real person. <laughs> <laughs> or the real frustration with like, you know, this show it wasn't very good or they didn't like a character or something like that. And you can feel, you know, the frustration about that kind of stuff. Like when, um, I think it happens more when um, someone's favorite piece of content, like a book that they really like, is adapted to, into a film or TV show, and it's terrible, <laughs> and, they're, mm -hmm. and they're so mad, and then then the swears come out. Unless you're unless you're my friend Megan, and then she just swears a lot anyway. So yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Love I you, had Megan, a but you're a sailor. <laughs> I, I I had a conversation with somebody, and I forget who it was, so I apologize if they didn't want me like mentioning this. They they did sort of just DM me. Uh, and just ask about like my decision to keep my content family friendly, knowing that once again I am a an adult human who swears occasionally mm -hmm. in his personal life. And they were saying, you know, is it something that you do for just viewership to make sure that like the maximum amount of people can come and see your videos? And to me, it's sort of like it's that plus a certain amount of responsibility to the community plus having worked in like safety for kids online games before like for people who don't know i used to work for disney interactive a while ago working on um like some kids entertainment and places where like there were chat filters in place and stuff like that and um you know i just have a sense for that kind of stuff and i realized that it didn't necessarily have to be part of my brand one of my my favorite comedians bill bailey um, is a guy who probably swears a fair amount in his personal life, but never really swears in his, like, stand-up comedy. And you don't need swears to be funny in that arena, where there are some comedians I love who will really lean into a swear, and it will be, like, just for emphasis, it will make something funnier, but it's not the, the language itself that's making it funnier, it's the way they're emphasizing it. So language is really one of those changeable and mutable things that I think a lot of context needs to be awarded to in order for people to really get it um and obviously there are some people who are turned off just by the usage of that language without any you know any context for why it is being used 
And that is yep. something I, I completely understand that point of view. Uh, it is not one I share, but it is one that I empathize with, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, that's that tends to be why I tend, tend to keep most of my stuff like family friendly where possible. It just, you know, it makes it accessible. It means kids don't get in trouble. And <laughs> that's kind of where yeah. I am with it. Yeah, that's the thing, too. And I, I same reason for me, you know, broad audience, you know, trying to represent, you know, the community in, in a positive way, knowing that there's a range of people and all that kind of stuff. And because, I mean, Minecraft, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Minecraft, the average player is probably close to 20. When you look at the grand scheme of all people playing. I, um, I mean, I, I think in, in our community, probably in terms of the broader community of players, I think it's probably skews a little bit younger than you'd expect just because yeah. of the amount of players who are on consoles and tablets. And mm, I imagine yeah. the Java edition community might be a little older because they're the right. folks who are playing like on PCs, which, on PCs, you yeah. know, not, not, not to cast any, not to tar anybody with any particular brushes, but they are, it's typically like a more adult way to play games if you're playing it on a laptop, which is also used for like work or school or whatever or mm. you know you're playing on like a full desktop pc um i feel like a lot of younger players are going to be playing it on mobile and that's where the majority of minecraft's player base is really is in bedrock edition in mobile and console yeah um so so that's that's one reason why i keep it family friendly but also um and, I, and I, i'm the same way like if i tune into a, a content creator on twitch that's that's swearing i'll stick around long enough to find out why you know, yeah. and there's a couple of new content creators that I've been um, following and um, th they do swear, but it's in context. It's not every other word because they can't expand their vocabulary, past, you know, past one syllables, you know. Uh, and, and so it makes it more funny when or more fun when the swears happen in appropriate places like being chased in a dark cave by a spider. I fully yeah. expect swears. <laughs> when, mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're if you're a streamer or, or a content creator that that uses that kind of language, then that's going to happen when there's scary spiders around. I get it. Uh, it would I I would probably have to work <laughs> to not do it. <laughs> you know, uh, on stream. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that I think is it's always an interesting take. And I'm I'm with you there on the comedians as well. I, I prefer it when it's like. It's almost funnier when it's a comedian that doesn't swear that often, and then they choose one thing to just zone in on that really bothers them. And it's usually even funnier when it's something mundane, like they don't like the way that a coffee cup is sitting on a counter, you know, or they don't yeah. like the way that they don't like a, the way that a coworker, you know, uh, choose their sandwich or something. And they're just lacing into the hard language over something completely useless. You yeah. Know? It's, just, it's that, co that comedic juxtaposition is like, they know how yeah. to sell it. Cause that's, that's their, yeah, yeah. that's their profession. Um, speaking of professions, let's do our profession and let's actually hey, do a podcast. That sounds good. That sounds great. It's only the hundredth time we've done this. Yeah, really though. You'd, you'd think we'd be used to getting this done on time. My gosh. All right. Starting the show in three, two. Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 100 for Monday, August 3rd, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, who you may know better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. 100 episodes! Woo! Air horn sound effects. Uh, I guess pillager horns sounding in the distance would be like the Minecraft equivalent. If I <laughs> only knew the person that edits this podcast that could put a pillager horn in the edit, that would be fantastic. We'll see if I remember after we've done this show. Well, <laughs> welcome in, folks. And I hope everyone enjoyed listening to The Render Distance if you stuck around for that. Thank you. Uh, just wanted to give everybody a peek behind the curtain at what the patrons of the show 
uh, get by subscribing to the show at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks you hear us talk about it every week and now you get an idea of the stuff we talked about if you've skipped ahead to this point in the podcast we just had a conversation about dungeons and dragons swearing in media and why we don't do it in our own uh shows in our twitch streams and videos and that kind of stuff and uh i feel like it's always fun to have a bit of a conversation up top gets us warmed up for the show and uh for the folks who are listening live in discord right now gets them to uh, you know lets them get to know us a little bit better so uh if you listen to the render distance thank you if you want to hear more of it once again patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and stick around for the post show because i played a lot of satisfactory this weekend and i'll get a chance to talk about it then oh yes and since this is the first of the month, I want to extend a huge and big 100 episode thank you to all of our patrons who support the show. You are a massive part, an essential part of making the podcast, allowing Johnny and I to take time out of our busy weeks to produce the show ad-free. So thank you. Uh, it's wonderful. We couldn't have asked for a, a better, more supportive community, and it's uh, continuing to grow. And it's just fantastic to be a part of this 100 episode train. Yes, if you want to see people post images of camels in the Discord every every week, then uh, join up to uh, join our Discord. And and yeah, if, if you if you're just curious about what the context is for that, I'm not going to tell you. And that's why you should become a patron for behind the scenes <laughs> peaks like this. But once again, as Joel was saying, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. It really means a lot. Uh, so this has been a, a big milestone for the show, and this is also more or less two years worth of the spawn chunks, but. It's been an average Minecraft week other than that. So, Joel, what have you been up to in Minecraft this week? Well, speaking of Patreon, actually, I took a tour of my Patreon server. Uh, it's called Infinity Cove, and it celebrated one year on August 1st. And uh, I've been on the, on the server before. I don't play on it myself. Uh, I don't have the time. But uh, there's now 20-odd members, uh, doubling since, I think, last year. And uh, boy, was there a lot of content to check out. So uh, hats off to uh, Liwas and uh, the mighty Elkhorn who put together a in-game Minecraft book with build names, who built it, and coordinates for me to uh, teleport around the world in because I'm OP on the server for nice. admin reasons. Yeah, so it was it was great. Um, and then there was there was some like you know guided tours of more complicated builds, uh, cough cough uh, mini packs. Holy smokes. Um, and there's just a lot going on in the server. And it was really fun and inspirational to see a very lively server, first person walking around that's not as old as the Citadel, but has way more active players. So mm -hmm. the Citadel is like three years old, I think, but it, there's only six of us and really only half of us play, you know, consistently. So, you know, it's great, but there's not a lot of builds happening because it takes everybody a long time to do stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it makes me think, though, having watched um, and, and seen the stuff on Infinity Cove, I should try to organize more. The Citadel is more active now, and I should try to organize more group projects, you know, where we can um, where we can work together and get something larger done faster. Yeah, and team up on better. something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think that's going to be um, probably part of the future for things like the um, medieval's realm that we're going to do on the server but anyway infinity cove there were zen gardens panda sanctuaries lighthouses wizard towers an absolutely massive stone statue uh there's some images being shared in our live discord right now which is just phenomenal uh and like when i'm talking sta big task statue i'm thinking like the argonath from lord of the rings like just huge yeah huge 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 uh, really, really fun to walk around and see all that kind of stuff. It was very inspiring. It's got me excited to do some some cool things. Um, also, I think the veil, 
um, which was Skull Daisy's build. I didn't want to drop too many names because I'm going to miss people. Um, but there, there's just a lot of really well thought out and developed areas. So it's not just like one thing plopped into the landscape. Everybody kind of bleeds together. There's like a town area and then there's like a, as people get farther away, you walk into another build. It's not just one build. It's more like a dozen built by one creator and they all kind of mesh together. They're not just plopping things kind of like willy nilly. And so it, it really felt fun. It felt like there was a lot of artistic expression, I guess is the best way to, to put it on uh, on the podcast. And uh, and there is a VOD, so you can check out uh, my VOD on twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. And I believe my friend Stephen ESC did a tour on Sunday as well. And he was interacting with some of the players. I was doing more of a, how many people can I showcase on stream? So I didn't have other people on mic. I was kind of bouncing around. Yeah. Um, but but Stephen did like some walkthroughs and I think he had some people on Discord and stuff walking him through. So it was very, very cool. And I'm excited to to get into... Uh, Minecraft and do more uh, because of what I've seen on on the uh, the server. Um, as for the Citadel, I'm on a big build, so I'm I'm taking small chunks out of the underside of the Nether, and and developing the Netherite Hall, which is my personal exercise in trying to learn how to use Blackstone efficiently. And um, I'm finding some uses for it, but most of this weekend was not design; it was just progress. It was knocking out a large area with a lava ceiling which is treacherous. I died twice and I lost stuff. So sad days, but, mm. uh, it, I mean, it was, and, and, and I want to say my own fault, the, the fire resistant potion had run out. The lava was coming down from the ceiling and I fell off my scaffolding down to the slab floor, which was covered in like an eight by eight of lava. Well, <laughs> like there was just, yeah. there was no hope, no hope. Um, I think the only thing that survived was I think a bundle of quartz that I had in my inventory that just kind of popped out outside of the lava. Uh -huh. Um, the um the dumb thing is that i had a decent like i had a probably a end game silk touch pick diamond pick on me i have a knife ancient debris that i could smelt it and turn it into like it could have been another right pick that i was i was, I was gonna say this is a selling moment for yep. netherite this is the moment yep. where netherite kind of because <laughs> hello can i can yep. i interest you in uh an upgrade maybe <laughs> Yep, I just I find I find the grind for ancient debris boring, and so I found some and I put it away, and I forgot about it. <laughs> like I yeah. just I just haven't used it, and so a mental note going forward, I will probably I will probably do that, and it's a good uh, incentive for me to tweak my custom texture pack to have some cool netherite tool designs or something fun. I might do that on stream, um, but yeah. So the netherite hall, it is more than a hundred blocks long. There are big two by two pillars every five blocks and it's long enough that you can't see the other end it is spooky and mm -hmm. i love it uh i'm actually thinking of doubling the length help me now uh because that effect would then last longer when you're in it and when you're in the middle you wouldn't be able to see either end yeah I, that's, that's i pretty love cool. that idea i love that idea so that's that's where we are with it. There's really nothing to report. It's a bunch of it's an empty box with pillars in it right now. <laughs> yeah, it's and <laughs> it's it's funny box. it's funny how the fog effect in the Nether is something that a lot of people have been telling me in my comment section to turn off the fog because you can do that in Optifine. I think a couple of content creators have done that recently just to see the Nether like extend outwards towards where the render distance in the overworld would be instead of being kind of like a little bit more claustrophobic with the fog around you but personally i find the fog so effective that it's actually worth having because for a start you get those really interesting different biome fog colors in the nether now as you move around the different biomes but i think 
so much of the atmosphere of the nether comes from that stuff and so I'm, I'm much more interested in seeing effects like you're describing where you you're standing at one section of a room and you can't see where it extends off to in the distance the sense of the unknown and that foreboding that comes with the nether especially now it's got great ambient sound and a really cool soundtrack and stuff as well i think it really adds to the effect of the nether really i'm running fabric and i don't remember what the fog settings are i think there's simple and simply an on off toggle i don't think you can set the distance because normally what i end up doing is with optifine is that i would turn fog on but i would usually push it back a little bit yeah but not, yeah. not a lot there's like six eight and ten or something i can't remember but i i would have it whatever one tick past default would be just to see yeah. a little bit farther and most of that was just because I, I had some really cool builds in the overworld and i wanted to see them from farther away than what i was getting um but uh but i haven't um i have to run around i've been so busy in the nether with fabric i haven't spent much time in the overworld so i don't know how fabric is rendering uh the overworld in terms of the settings for what i have with um i shouldn't say fabric with sodium and the other mods that are in there actually we have an email about that later i'll talk about that then um yeah. But, uh, but yeah what have you been up to in in minecraft Oh, I've done a lot this week, actually. It's It's been um, the start of a new Skyblock series, which is always super fun. Uh, the new Skyblock map for 1.16, Dr. Trog has made a couple of uh, interesting updates to it, which I don't think I covered last week, but I'm, I may as well cover here now. So you start off on the regular vanilla Skyblock island in the overworld, but as soon as you mine and collect a piece of dirt it transports you to the nether, regardless of what you've taken out of the chest or if you cut down the tree or anything like whatever you normally do in Skyblock. As soon as you start thinking about making a cobblestone generator, by usually by digging up some of the, uh, the blocks of that grass island, it teleports you to a similar island in the nether with a warped fungus and some blackstone and uh, a piece of soul soil and the chest on this island has some blue ice and a bucket of lava in it so you're supposed to make a basalt generator to get yourself back to the portal that'll take you back to the overworld um so it's a really interesting twist on the classic skyblock formula and aside from that it is the same map as you would have been playing in 115.2 it's got a pillager watchtower and a witch hut in it in the perimeter in the overworld now as well so that's super fun and it really feels like a new lease of life for skyblock for me because with that series, I, I started it in an earlier version of the map, so I didn't have the Witch Hut or any of the newer structures. I just about found the Ocean Monument. I'd gotten quite far in terms of progression. I had diamond gear and villagers were trading me stuff. I had beaten the dragon, so I'd got some elytra and could fly around the Skyblock world. But I kind of like starting again with that now. It gives me an opportunity to go over some of the decisions that I made in the first one and think could I have done that better? And then I've made a better mob spawner as a result. I've made some some improvements to some of the early game stuff I was doing. And I'm going to make things prettier as I go. So I'm actually going to work with some more aesthetic stuff fairly early um, once I can get hold of it. Plus, now we have the option to get uh, hoes with fortune to break leaves. Then the sapling grind in Skyblock is actually going to be a little bit easier as long mm, as I have access mm -hmm. to fortune that I can use to get, say, dark oak saplings, then I can hope that that tree will be renewable for longer. Whereas in my in my first Skyblock series, I didn't get more than two dark oak saplings out of the original tree and therefore couldn't regrow it until the Wandering Trader showed up. Uh, which, once again, I think we have an email about the Wandering Trader a bit later, but as you know, he is a little bit useless as far as I'm concerned. Um, so Skyblock has been great fun, been getting into that again. And in the survival guide, I am finally working on the project I've been talking about basically since I started playing Minecraft, actually. 
which is a museum that's going to contain every block and item and mob in Minecraft. And yes, there are some things that you can't bring to the overworld, so there will be sections of the museum in the nether as well. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to really getting into this project. I've chosen a place for it, which is right by a stronghold, so I can include end portal blocks in the museum, and there are a couple of spawners nearby that I've just started excavating. And yeah, I'm, I'm planning on drawing ideas from all across all of the stuff I've done in Minecraft previously to bring it all into this museum. So it feels like it's going to be an attempt at my magnum opus, I guess. It's going to be like one of the most ambitious things I've done in the game so far. But considering nice. I've it, already built a mountain range, um, I'm kind of up for the challenge at this stage. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like those. Um, it's like your version of the redstone sorting system that sorts everything sortable in Minecraft, right? Like it just it's the it's the artistic builder's version of the sorting system. You're like, no, it's a museum. I only need one. <laughs> Yeah, of everything. and and, and yeah. as somebody who I sort of specialize in making tutorial videos now after a fashion, they're tutorials that are in the survival game, uh, but I still think of them as tutorials and being informative. And so I feel like, yeah, for the, the, the Redstoner's dream being something that sorts everything for you and has all of these kind of redstone bells and whistles, the Builder's dream is, you know, designing an entire city kind of thing. And the tutorial maker's dream is having the most informative Minecraft structure, which is what I'm trying to do with this. There's going to be interactive elements to it as well. I feel like the experience of going to a museum is more than just looking at stuff in glass cases. To make museums engaging, they have interactive exhibits. They have, like, you know, stuff for you to press and turn and rub and look at. And um, th there's a bunch of different stuff that will make it interesting. So I have a few exhibits in mind that are going to take advantage of that at the very least i'm going to have lecterns everywhere so that i can have written books with information about each of the the blocks and items and stuff like that there are going to be rube goldberg machines in the redstone area there are going to be you know a bunch of a bunch of different things there's even going to be a bedrock exhibit uh at some point where you can just go down to bedrock and there'll be like a glass floor over it and it can be like this is bedrock so yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to bringing more of these ideas to the table. But first I've got to build the thing and it's going to be enormous, Joel. I don't know where well, I'm going to get all the resources from. Uh, we had it in one of our screenshots, uh, one of our uh, thumbnails. It was, um, it was something about journalism and there was a huge museum in the build and it was a world that people could go to and actually read books in Minecraft. Yes, uh, uh, the Uncensored Library, I believe. Yes, is the build that's what it was to. called. Um, yeah. what, so what kind, of, what kind of, are there real world buildings that you're drawing on for inspiration for the museum? Uh, there's a little bit of just anything I can get in a, a Google image search for museum, but that's mainly going to be the outsides, the exteriors, and I'm planning on making it look like quite a Minecrafty structure <laughs> after a fashion. I feel like Minecraft sort of has its own identity in terms of mm. build style that I'm trying to celebrate with the structure instead of trying to emulate something from the real world. Not least because if I go with a real world rebuild, if I'm doing it to scale, I cannot guarantee that it will have room for everything in minecraft in it because ultimately uh museums in the real world don't have to think about can we store everything that exists in this building because of course they can't because they they, they curate stuff that's kind of the point whereas i want this museum to contain more or less everything and then some of some of the time it's going to have demonstrations of what that thing does and I don't know how much space that's going to take up. So while I'm trying to plan this stuff, I'm leaving myself with room for expansion. And I really can't emulate any kind of real life structure with it because it would either be unfathomably large or it would be not big enough to contain all the stuff I have planned. Very cool. I'm excited to see that come together.
yeah, we'll we'll see how it all goes. Um, moving on to the news for this week, we have a Minecraft Java Edition 1.16.2 pre-release uh, that released last week, I think last Wednesday. Um, and at the head of this article, it says, from now on, you should mostly see bug fixes leading up to the full release of 1.16.2, which we expect to happen in a few weeks. So they are hedging their bets a little bit, making sure that they get all the bugs fixed and not guaranteeing that it's going to be ready by next week or anything. But uh, considering that we thought it was just going to be the piglin brute, it turns out there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, in this change log, which you can see on Minecraft.net, has the full change log there, along with all the bug fixes, there are new accessibility settings which have been added to help with visual comfort. Distortion effects such as nausea and the nether portal overlay can now be reduced. At lower values, the nausea effect is replaced with a green overlay as an alternative visualization. Field of view effects shown after speed modifiers are applied can now be reduced. So, uh, yeah, anything that you know, moves your field of view around if you have, say, soul speed and you're standing on a soul sand block, suddenly your field of view kind of zooms out a little bit more as though you've just cranked the field of view slider a little bit, and apparently that can be adjusted now. Uh, big changes in 116.2 Pre-1 include chains now being placed in all orientations, Endermen will no longer place their held blocks onto bedrock blocks, Piglins now become angry with players who open or destroy a chest minecart, Villagers lose their job sites when changing dimension. Chat delay has been added to the chat settings screen. And custom world generation and dimension settings now use the same folder pattern in data packs as other resources do. There are some notable bug fixes in this one, uh, one of which I've just thrown in because I saw a bunch of people going, how on earth did this ever get noticed and then fixed? But uh, start off with throwable projectiles getting destroyed on contact with non-solid blocks. Uh, an example being a snowball thrown at a two-block-high flower was going to get destroyed. Uh, now those will pass through flowers, now that that has been fixed. Uh, bubble columns weren't affecting eggs, snowballs, enderpearls, splash potions, lingering potions, fireballs, and shulker bullets. So all of those projectiles now affected by bubble columns, which has some interesting implications. Villagers didn't get ejected from a mine. Oh, sorry. Villagers did get ejected from a minecart when converting to a zombie villager. So those will now stay in the minecarts. New nether plants can be picked up without shears or silk touch. That has now been fixed. So nether foliage has to be sheared or gathered with a silk touch tool. And the last one, because it was hilarious, the game crashed after killing a mob that was being ridden by a guardian while it is being ridden by a wither skeleton. <laughs> so somebody. <laughs> <laughs> somebody in their weird like creative test world or whatever or maybe even a map maker or somebody who's been retexturing these mobs so they look like something else has spawned in a wither skeleton riding a guardian and then spawned something else in that's riding the wither skeleton and killing the wither skeleton's passenger caused the game to crash <laughs> and i just saw a bunch of people in the reddit thread for this changelog going okay yep yep we've all run into that one once or twice <laughs> um yeah so yeah. I thought that was that was pretty hilarious. Uh, good on them for fixing that one. I'm sure that will uh, fix a, a lot of people's issues. And joking aside, I think it's it's good that they're they're still tracking down these game crashes and figuring yeah. out what has I, what has caused them. And it might be something more complicated on the back end that that it's it's good that it's fixed because it it may have other implications. But I just I love the idea that there's one Minecraft player out there going finally. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I've been waiting for this, but finally I can have my Wither Skeleton rodeo with Guardians, and yeah, it's it's a giant mess, but I imagine that's uh, it's a good thing that that's been fixed, and, and passenger issues in general may have, like you said, been fixed as a result of that. 
Uh, one last light item of news uh, before we get into the discussion about this. Uh, they re- they finally released a, uh, a an iteration of the How We Make Minecraft series. There is an episode about adding new mobs up on Minecraft's YouTube channel, which is a light-hearted take on the difficulties of adding a new mob to the game. And there is some actual game design advice in there somewhere. Um, I say that because the, the video is largely a kind of a cartoony and, I guess, kid-friendly approach to the way Mojang designs new mobs for the game and the perils of introducing them to something that already has a bit of an ecosystem to it. Um, did you manage to catch that video, Joel? I did. Uh, I laughed a couple times. I thought it was funny. I'm I'm a little disappointed that they're not taking uh, a, a more informational approach to these because I would really like to have more information about how they actually do that. But I, I guess that's what... Uh, you get more in the live Q and A's from MineCon Live, Mine, yeah, Con, and or Mine, in Cra- the uh, what's it called, MineCon Festival, whatever. Uh, it, it's it was Minecraft. It was going to be Minecraft Festival this year, but I think it's probably MineCon Live again because yeah. of the 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 current situation with the world health crisis and everything. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, I just I I don't think that you have to make it this kiddie for kids to understand it. I guess is my point. Yeah, yeah, and and they they've clearly got a um a sort of fun art directing style with it they've they've clearly got oh, yeah. like it's funny an, an aesthetic that they're working to and yeah it feels very much like um kids programming with a little bit of useful information thrown in there as well you'll probably get more if you're you know not not keen on this kind of thing you'll get more out of the um the ask mojang q a videos that they've been putting up elsewhere on the youtube channel so there is probably a little bit more uh behind the scenes developer feedback stuff there whereas this is clearly put together by like you know, a, a team that's interested in sharing this kind of information with a younger audience. I am uh, all for the accessibility setting changes. And uh, I know you're always championing uh, more accessibility tweaks and, mm-hmm. and sliders and stuff for for Minecraft. And I think it's great. I think it's a, it's a simple thing that they can change. Uh, I don't need these changes. I'm not someone that has those kind of visual issues with the game, but I know some people that do. So I think that's great. Um, I am definitely turning down, if not off, the nausea settings on portals. That's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's the bane of my existence because we've got a couple of shaped portals. And um, I know that there's actually a Vanilla Tweaks uh, data pack out there now where you can do shaped nether portals, but we have the traditional square portals that are then decorated to look like a different shape. Yeah. And very often you'll find yourself going through a portal facing the wrong way, or you're stuck at a corner. Uh, more new players, I kind of know the spots to stand and which way to face now, but you can get caught. And when you're caught trying to find your way out and you're wobbling around, like it's just it's just frustrating. It doesn't it takes me out of the game. And so I'll be turning that down. Um, it'll also help with some of the sci-fi builds we want to do on the Citadel where the wobbly thing is not necessarily what you want to happen. It would be better if it was a cleaner straight you know, kind of like teleportation through the portal. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I actually like the zoom setting um, that happens when you have swiftness. Um, I find it a good indicator when swiftness activates and wears off. Um, so you're like, oh, hey, there's a beacon effect happening. Or, oh, hey, my potion of um, swiftness is run out. That's why I'm not mining sand at the speed of sound anymore. So yeah, <laughs> um, uh, what do you, how do you feel about the accessibility changes? Uh, I, I agree with you. I think the nausea one is good. And I think the swiftness or um, soul speed one is, is probably been prompted more by soul speed because I have been 
doing a lot more ancient debris mining on my streams and whenever I run across a patch where there is one or two blocks of soul sand down one of these long tunnels I'm digging whether to lay oh. TNT or just to uh, just to go you know straight strip mining or branch mining for for ancient debris I'm finding that I just get this sudden lurch of um, you know FOV change as I run over that block when I speed up and then that gets a little bit disorienting if not um, if not nauseating it, it's definitely a little bit like it feels uncomfortable it, it it feels like something that's just like maybe it should kick in if you're on a large patch of it and you're really taking advantage of the soul speed effect but i'm just walking backwards down this tunnel and then suddenly it's like i've you know keeled over backwards temporarily or something you know it it, it does yeah get, it gets a little bit distracting it becomes noticeable after a while once you've done it a few times that would make sense, you know, like no no um, soul speed uh, POV changes unless you're running on 10 or more blocks of of soul sand, you know, yeah, like w but... wait until you're actually up to speed, I guess, before it actually happens. Yeah, it's, it's all about where you draw the line with those effects, though. And, and for some people, mm. it could be useful. I think it's just good to have the option. Like, I, I'm all in favor of there being more tweakable options and more sliders for stuff like this so that you can adjust it to how you uh, however you feel about it. Uh, let's look at the other changes in this change log. Um, sideways chains. Um, they seem to be uh, one of those things that everyone has either championed or they're just like, well, that's that's kind of nice. I'm I'm in the second category. I wasn't like champing at the bit for being able to place chains sideways, but I can see how they look good for I don't know, like rope bridges and stuff like that. Do you do you have a particular affinity for this as a change? Well, exactly. I think rope bridges would be really cool. Like, so, I mean, the issue is going to be the same thing that you run into with um, any sub block like fences and walls and in, in that they're not going to be able to connect to everything. Yeah. Uh, so like if you put a fence down and a chain, then they don't connect to one another. The chain kind of floats. Uh, but if you have solid blocks and then chains run between them, that could be cool for like a chain railing on a bridge or maybe a harbor. You know, I might see what they look like on a, on a harbor, um, harbor front in my city um i'm excited for them you can make honest to goodness drawbridges now and you don't have to do the janky diagonal placement of iron bars um or or bury chickens with leads you know in the ground <laughs> yeah. to get something that looks like a i mean it's going to be a minecraft drawbridge and that it's going to be at a right angle but there are drawbridges that have that kind of a that kind of a hoist on the on the gate where it's not a not a 45 degree angle chain it's it's like a, a two chains one goes horizontal the other one goes vertical down to connect to the drawbridge so there are some really cool implementations um i'm excited also about the waterlog chains um i think that that has the combination therein is really cool you can do lots of really cool stuff chained underwater and um i, I think linking things together yeah, um you know having something that looks like it's being towed you know, like all that kind of stuff is cool. I kind of hope that this leads the way to maybe something like Minecraft rope. I yeah. Mean, um, how it, cool would it be if the, the science behind the chains is just applied to maybe you make rope, which you could then climb, you know, or do different things with? Uh, I mean, people could also retexture chains to be rope. Yes. Um, yeah, totally. Do that too. Um, I, I assume chains are also unique enough in that they don't behave like uh iron bars or fences that this doesn't set a precedent for horizontal fence posts and stuff like that like i'm 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 worried mm. about the the slippery slope of like well why doesn't all of this have a sideways thing as well where you know we've done just fine without them before kind of thing i i wonder if walls will now connect to sideways chains as well i hadn't looked into that but i wonder if because now walls will connect to a variety of things for this sort of solid wall um idea with 
uh, glass panes being able to inset into a into a wall well enough. I I, I wonder if maybe that will happen. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh, I, I know that. Um, speaking of glass panes, actually, that conversation come up in in, in my Discord channel uh, over the weekend in the Minecraft uh, section about the chains, and someone said, "This is amazing. I wish I could do this with glass panes." And to yeah. which everyone went, "Oh my gosh, yes." And uh, some of the Star Wars fans in my Discord just kind of like single glass panes that you could position sideways, like chains now, instant laser bolt, like yeah. just ready-made. Uh, but also being able to do glass panes horizontally for like the ceiling of a greenhouse or just like just being able to take that one block and just being able to do it in, in two axes changes so much about about how you could use glass panes and i don't think like again we've got chains that do it we've got end rods that do it is there anything else that goes horizontal like that that i can think of not that i can nothing is immediately coming to mind but but yeah but yeah like so like having the glass panes be another similar block like that's not a stretch i don't think right like that's not outside of the box uh walls and fences i think would be like woo we're pushing the box, you know, yeah. uh, but which I, don't get me wrong. I would, I would love sideways fences, but, um, or being able to pay, post fences on the side of things. But, uh, but yeah, but actually I had this discussion on stream the other day. I, I think that a lot of the, um, blocks that have they either sub blocks or they have some sort of thing carved out of them. Um, anvils, well, anvils fall. So that doesn't make any sense, but, um, non affected blocks by gravity, like, uh, the cauldron. It would be really cool if you could place the cauldron sideways in the same way that you place a log. Just directional placing. You know, whichever block face you're facing, that's where the feet of the cauldron go. Yeah, and, and the, there are definitely a lot of things that could be, you know, could, could look really good with directional placement. I, I wonder how often there is just a, a, a disagreement behind the scenes or, or, or some sort of justification made for it where the cauldron is still meant to be a cauldron and you know yeah. the the, the functionality it. of it comes into play yeah exactly like stuff yeah. like that like and and having having it connect to certain surfaces like d- depending on how realistic it is how anything is meant to be physics wise in a game where blocks all float so physics is kind <laughs> of like a an optional concept um, see scaffolding yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah so so there's 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 some interesting arguments and we could we could definitely get into that i think maybe something to be saved for a, a round table episode where we can really pick apart all of the stuff and come mm, to this with mm-hmm. a little bit more a little bit more a, f- a few more examples um we've got um bubble columns now affecting all of these projectiles again i think ender pearls is the big one here because technically that means you can throw an ender pearl and it will stay hovering in this bubble column which means as soon as you trigger something that causes the ender pearl to land or impact on a block you teleport there immediately but the ender pearl will stay floating there indefinitely until you trigger that so it makes teleportation possible um which is a a concept that people have been doing for ages now with other things they've had slime blocks being able to kind of juggle ender pearls in place until you're ready to stop the slime block machine and then you get teleported back there you've had ender pearl launchers and things like that before using slime blocks but now um yeah it is it is possible to send an ender pearl up to the top of a water elevator that goes to build height and then you just trigger something using a column of redstone and you end up being able to teleport to build height instantly from ground level if you want to and then you just set up another ender pearl and you can do that again whenever you like 
there's some some very neat applications of it i'm sure i am only scratching the surface of what some more technical folks have thought of but that's a, an exciting prospect for people who like to play around with those things do we know what happens when an ender pearl that is active having been thrown by the player leaves render distance uh i think it just stays there it sort of loses all momentum and stays there but right. the player the player can't currently throw anything out of render distance but if it's kind of hovering in place i don't think it would teleport you back there because anything that it would be able to impact on would be unloaded as well right so okay. presumably when you get back within render distance of the ender pearl whatever was happening to it before continues to happen because i'm just thinking about like if it works with bubble comps i wonder if it'll work with like waterways and stuff like that but i guess it would I guess it would impact the ice in the waterway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it'd it'd still be affected by gravity. The bubble column is the thing that's keeping it afloat right. at that point. Yeah, right. So it's a vertical thing, not a horizontal thing. All right. Yes, that's it's interesting. It's, I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, the future Redstone Genius videos <laughs> on YouTube. Yes, yeah, and and there's all kinds of odd stuff that I'm sure they will they will come up with. Um, we have piglins being angry over minecart chests, which is once again another controversial one another thing that we, we were like this was our one workaround for having like a normal chest inventory in in the nether but yet the piglins nothing is sacred from these swines um <laughs> we've we've got to deal with that now as well and it was it was a an oversight perhaps but i felt like it was kind of fun to have one thing left as a workaround aside from redstone component inventories which i presume are being left untouched only because making redstone contraptions in the nether is fun and having that process hampered by piglins could be a step too far for people i don't know how you feel about that one yeah i think it's consistent so it makes sense with what the game currently has i just think that that currently implemented rule is um in the wrong direction i i think we've mentioned it i think you've mentioned it on the show i think ender chests and shulker boxes should be the two things that they ignore uh, and then I'm fine if if everything else is like that. Sure, you know, if you want to make the nether harder, that's awesome. I don't think it would be... I think it would be too difficult to differentiate between player-placed chests and chests that are, you know, in the world or in the piglin bastions. Um, and then that just wouldn't happen at all. I've I've been able to deal with it by just having spawn-proof nether and us not being in, in line of sight of, of piglins. It doesn't happen to me nearly as much. I get hit, actually... Um, I've been killed by Pliglins more for mining gold yeah, and for yeah. not having a gold helmet on than I have for uh, opening chests. So it's not as big a problem as I thought it was going to be for me as a player. But I do think that like the end game reward of having shulker boxes as your go-to and having uh, ender chests uh, in, the, in the nether would be a good way to say like, all right, well, the Pliglins don't get mad at those because they don't know what they are, that kind of a thing. Um, the... The minecart chests, I tried that, and it's not as useful as you think. Interacting with a chest is so much easier than the hitbox and trying to interact with a minecart chest. Yeah, the the amount of setup it requires as well, bringing the minecart, the chest, and the rails with you everywhere, and then if you break it, it breaks down into separate items, and you have to recraft mm -hmm. it again. There are there are steps there that I thought was, I think, a worthwhile balance between it being awkward to put together, but then gives you something that's a workaround from piglins aggroing on you but i guess if you wanted to leave one somewhere as a permanent storage solution then maybe that was a workaround that they didn't feel like was something they wanted in the game i don't know 
Um, <laughs> but uh, that that's that's one mild inconvenience, I suppose, over the the joy that is the Nether update thus far. Uh, speaking of which, we have warped roots and crimson roots and stuff like that now have to be picked up with shears and silk touch, which on the one hand kind of invalidates the shifting floor farm design I was using for them, but that will also still give you warped and crimson fungus. I believe you don't need to get the fungus with silk touch or shears, you just need to get the nether roots. Um, and nether sprouts were already of an, a category of their own where you had to shear them anyway, so it's kind of moving one plant into the other category. And I already had a farm set up so I could harvest nether sprouts, so I can basically just use the same one if I want to, where you can just go back and forth with shears or a silk touch tool in a minecart and gather all of that stuff that way. So the thing that confused me about this is, um, I guess nether roots, both of them, the crimson and the warped versions, are just decorative? Like there's no other real function for they're, them, they're, right? They're, effectively, they're grass. Yeah, they're the nether right. of grass. Grass. So, so the sheer thing makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. what I was wondering if there might be a way to, if people wanted to have them act more like flowers in that they could be a natural source of, um, cyan dye for the warped version. And I want to say magenta dye because while the roots are crimson, nothing else that's called crimson <laughs> in, in the crimson forest outside of the, the, um, nether warp blocks are red. They're, most of it is like a purple. Yeah. Um, but it would be kind of neat if, if you could have the nether be, the sources of these unnatural dyes, the dyes that you have to make by combining other dyes in, in real life. And, and then maybe they could return to the shifting floor design. But I, I, I can, I can appreciate the people that are like, well, now my shifting floor design doesn't work. But I also say like, well, what were you using these for? <laughs> Cause they, yeah. they don't, they're just decorative, you know? Um, and also, uh, and this dawned on me, uh, this past weekend, uh, there's no version of the, what was it? The sprouts? There's no crimson sprouts. No, it's just warped sprouts, which is yeah, uh, and and, and they're not they're not even called warped. They are called nether sprouts specifically. Nether sprouts. You you only find yeah. them in warped biomes, but they are specifically called nether sprouts because they aren't part of the warped family. Um, hmm. Which is yeah, it's it's weird. It it seems like a strange concept to have. Like there is nether grass and there is other nether grass, you know. But I I think it's kind of cool. I like those nether sprouts a lot, actually. If you want to use them as like frosty, like morning frost grass in like a mountain biome or a snow biome mm -hmm. build, I think those look really nice in those areas combined with the the kind of bluish gray grass color you get there. So. I reckon keep some of those around. You might find them more useful than you think if you're working on something aesthetic. Oh, yes. I was thinking more functionality. I think they're also very attractive and, and work in decoration, but like you don't need hundreds of them. <laughs> Do no, you know what entirely. I mean? Necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Right. Uh, let's get into the chunk mail for the week. Uh, we have some listener email to read. We actually have quite a few smaller emails here, which is kind of fun for our uh, 100th episode just to kind of uh, throw in a few different things into the pot. Uh, this one comes from Coco, who's a landscape artist member and of our Discord, um, our, our Patreon, and the subject is loot chest banners. It says, hey, so I listened to episode 99 today, and the loot chest conversation gave me an idea. How would you all feel about randomized banners being a thing in loot chests? Not only would that mean free banners, maybe some cool ones, but it could also be a great source of inspiration for designing banners, especially since there are no other natural banners in the game already, aside from the bland ones in villages and the pillager banners, which are unique anyway. Love the show, guys. Yeah, um, this kind of rolls off the back of my um, 
suggestion to make loot chests more viable for endgame where you could find cosmetic items in them. And I think pre-designed banners do feel like a fun idea. The only other ones I can think of that weren't mentioned in the email are the um, the banners that you find on end cities that are kind of like the hourglass. Um, it, it's funny because it's actually like the null texture. Um, texture, like... Um, it's, it's oh, so hard yes. to describe but if if you load up a, a texture file and it's corrupted or something then what you get is a pattern of like black and magenta squares uh where a texture needs to be replaced and basically the end city banners are that but in banner form with the kind of two opposing triangles of magenta and black and and so those are kind of fun but those are again the only banners that you really find anywhere else aside from yeah pillager patrols and, and and pillager watchtowers so i think it'd be kind of fun um the randomized thing is the problem because i imagine there'll be some combinations that just end up sort of hideous but it does give the player a little bit more incentive to mess around with banners and you could wash some of the designs off using a cauldron if you feel like it and maybe that would you know uncover a banner design you were slightly happier with what do you think about this this idea yeah I, i'm on board i i think that it would be more quote-unquote minecrafty to have pre-designed banners uh in loot chests to inspire players to play with banners more you know um to 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 know that there's more possibilities than just dyeing them a single color and um i think that especially with what they've done with the piglin bastions and some of the new carved blackstone blocks and stuff where they've got like the piglin snout in yes. things you could have a piglin banner in loot chests you could have um I'm trying to think of other examples, like anything that looks like a mob, you know, anything, any banner that would indicate, you know, cow or creeper, you know, skeleton, yeah. that kind of stuff could be kind of cool. Find, um, finding a creeper banner pattern would actually be very useful for people. I mean, a banner that was already emblazoned with a creeper to kind of get around the fact that you have to find a, you have to get a creeper head to make that banner pattern in the first place. I mean, it might mm -hmm. be a little bit of a, a cheaty workaround in a sense, but also, you know, if you've only got one of those banners and you can't, control what layer it appears on then. well that or or just um you know for peaceful players access to it in the first place exactly yeah that'd be that'd be kind of kind of useful and yeah i, ha I have yet to play around with the piglin snout banner pattern that you can get in some of those chests i do have a couple of them but um most of the time when i design banners i don't do it in game i tend to do it using external tools like the banner designer on planetminecraft.com or on needcoolshoes.com, they have one. Uh, but neither of those have the snout banner pattern added yet. Um, I think Planet Minecraft has the globe from the 114 update that you get from cartographers, but they don't have the, the piglin snout yet. So I need to get in-game and actually play around with some of that because I haven't really, haven't really tried it yet. Some people have said it looks like a cartoon pair of eyes as well. So in the right design, it could actually look like a, a face. So you, you could end up doing some fun stuff with that. I need to mess around with that some more. I've seen some really cool stuff uh, with banners. I, I think it was on Hermitcraft where like it was designed to look like the front grill of a truck. Yeah. You know, like stuff like that. And I, I, I'm looking forward to it. The, the only thing that with banners for me is that it, I wish that they would stop swaying in the wind. <laughs> yeah. It's... yeah I, it, it was a bug for a long time and I loved it. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they always used to be stationary. And then I th or I think like they would stop swaying after a while was the thing and so if your yep. world was old enough then there just was no wind anymore <laughs> which felt like a very odd thing to come to terms with in physics terms but um yeah it was was sometimes nicer if you didn't have your banner like clipping through the blocks that it was attached to or something like that so some sort of control over that would be kind of nice i'd agree yeah and you know, just add string to the recipe you know yeah tied banner <laughs> Tie will not down. move 
Yes. Will not move. That, that, that would be a fun data pack, actually. Um, where our next email comes from Hazal, sorry, Hazal Kabi123. I hope I got that right. Uh, fabric optimization. Hello there, Johnny and Joel. I listened to episode 99 and it was great as usual, but I thought I would point out a few things. All three of the optimization mods that you talked about, sodium, lithium, phosphor, are made by the same person, Jelly, Jelly Squid. She has a Discord and a GitHub, and th the three mods are meant, quote-unquote, to be together. But lithium is suggested to be server-side, best to have on both, while the other two, uh, sodium and phosphor, will work just fine on the client side. Love the podcast. Chunks out. H. Why does uh, everyone keep coming, out, coming up with these really good <laughs> sign-offs? We need I, to write I've, them down. I do. I need to. Need to I need to start the Google Doc of, of all of the good <laughs> sign-offs that people have made. Well, keep them coming, <laughs> folks, and and thank you for the uh, for the correction there. It's it's good to have clarification on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no big discussion here. I just wanted to pass along the information. Um, very much appreciated. Uh, we will have uh, links to Jelly Squid's Twitter and her GitHub page in the show notes for this week. Uh, I'll also include links to. Uh, sodium, lithium, and phosphor. I, I had those last week, but I did not link to Jelly Squid. Um, her links are on those pages. It's just that for clarification, if you want a quick way to get to things, check out the show notes at thespawnchunks.com. That's what I do during the afternoon uh, as I make those notes. So if you want to find something from the show quickly, that's probably the best way to do it. Absolutely. Uh, well, that one taken care of. We'll move on to the third email here, which comes in from Billy. And this is the one I hinted at earlier because the subject is the Wandering Traders Rapport. Uh, hello, Johnny and Joel. I was listening to your discussion about the Wandering Trader with Azuma from episode 96, and I wanted to share my thoughts. I'm also of the opinion that the Wandering Trader is meant for new players who have not discovered every biome yet, but on any later level, the Wandering Trader becomes pretty useless unless you need leads, of course. What I propose is this. Seeing as the Wandering Trader is a villager, give him an experience bar as well. Like villagers, more trade levels would be unlocked when you trade with him more, the lower levels would be roughly the same, but the higher experience levels would get you more useful stuff, like higher quantities of non-renewable, valuable, or tedious-to-gather items. I see two options. Either this works per Wandering Trader, where you first have to make one or two of the weaker trades before you get to the good stuff, or there is some sort of guild system where every wandering trader knows how much you've traded with wandering traders in general. This way, getting to better trades might take longer, but once acquired, you don't need to unlock it for every separate wandering trader that comes your way. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Your work is very entertaining when grinding out large projects in my world. Cheers, Billy. Well, thank you very much, Billy. As somebody who's also working on larger projects, I can definitely second that. Podcasts are a great way to get through some of the more tedious sections. I love this idea. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a great, uh, not only is it a good idea to, for improving the wandering trader, but it's also a very Minecrafty idea. Like it's not really outside of the box. It's taking in-game mechanics that are working and cool and fun and just applying it to something that is currently not super fun, <laughs> which is yeah. the wandering trader. Um, I think that it gives the wandering trader a decent reason to exist for all players. Early game, late game, forever worlds, and even peaceful players. And uh, I love that it adds a mysterious, unseen, wandering trader guild somewhere that you just never see. <laughs> just, yes. We don't know where they are or where they go or, or what it is that they're talking about. But when they come back, they're happy to see us. <laughs> yes, le leading that nomadic life. I think, yeah, anything to give the wandering trader more depth at this point. I love the design of the guy i i do think it's one of the cooler like design textures that they've come up with for 
um yeah for these kind of like neutral passive dudes like like villagers um but i've rarely if ever found the wandering trader useful there are maybe one or two things that i will go for which are things like slime balls if i don't have them nautilus shells if i don't have a drowned farm yet and saplings if i'm in a skyblock world but those are really some of the only things that i find useful from from the trader outside of the context of some kind of like more hectic survival challenge he doesn't appear at all in the nether so he was one of the things that would have been really useful to me in the nether survival challenge i did recently but just you know inaccessible and i've never really seen the point in having both a despawn timer on how long the trader sticks around and having him lock his trades after a few goes i mean i understand that if you keep the guy's gui open then he can't despawn right but then no player in their right mind especially on a single player world is going to do that forever because eventually you run out of stuff to trade anyway but i i really don't see the point in having him eventually despawn but then also have a limit on the amount of stuff he can trade because it just it just means that the individual trades become so trivial as to be purposeless i would love if he cycled out his trades after they became locked so that if you had a bunch of stuff from the wandering trader that you didn't actually want but then you thought oh if i could trade with him a few more times maybe he'll come up with a sand trade that i need if you're like looking for red sand in particular or something like that there would be there would be a couple of things that would make it a little bit more functional that would probably tip me over into appreciating him as a feature a little bit more and billy's idea really fleshes it out in terms of lore as well which i kind of like the idea of there being a guild of wandering traders is kind of fun to me and at the very least if he gave you not discounts yeah but like larger bulk trades uh if you traded with a lot of wandering traders before which i believe is still a statistic the game tracks then that makes a lot of sense to me i like the idea of getting higher tier items too you know like the, the first time you see him it's the same old stuff you know second third fourth fifth depending on how how long it goes uh you may get something like you know i don't want to say another star but like something higher up like maybe you get some diamonds or maybe you get uh you know blackstone or or other things that well i guess there's piglin bartering so we'd have to not have the same things there but like something that is really hard to get you know uh would be would be really cool yeah yeah and it's it's so difficult to find out what those are but once again if you added something like the cosmetic loot items that i mentioned maybe the wandering trader had a couple of those that you can't get anywhere else maybe something that maybe i don't know makes your armor look like his robes a little bit there's yeah there's there's some stuff that could be added in future that might give the wandering trader a little bit more purpose in the same way that campfires were given a little bit more purpose when they could then use be used to smoke out uh beehives and stuff like that i think there is still potential that the wandering trader could have which wasn't added along with him in 1.14 but still still has some potential so we're, we're keeping an of, eye on the wandering trader yeah uh we've had a lot of success both on infinity cove and on the citadel with uh implementing the um the same data pack that they use on hermitcraft which adds player heads and then mini blocks um to the wandering traders list. yeah uh it's again it's a data pack so it's outside of vanilla play really but for a community thing and a server thing um one of the, the um rooms that i toured uh was like the hall of heroes or something on infinity cove and it was just everybody's you know everybody that's on the server had like a little statue with their head on it like and that's that's cool and you can do that with the wandering trader which makes it not just here give me heads it's like you know from an admin side it's like oh no i actually have to work for this and just slowly but surely you know um 
we we want to see the wandering trader or like hey new player if you see a wandering trader try to go get your head so that we can include you in the hall of heroes you know like that kind of stuff is fun yeah and it's the same kind of idea as i was having with loot stuff in that it's cosmetic it's relatively inconsequential it's just really yep. nice when it shows up because you can't get it any other way so it's not something that's going to be game breaking to gate it behind a guy who turns up randomly and you can't really control that but it still gives you something exciting to trade with him once he's there at any level through the game as long as you've got emeralds i suppose <laughs> moving on to the main discussion for the week we thought it would be fun to take a look back at uh the 100 episodes of making a podcast about minecraft uh i'm calling it behind the mic block and uh i thought it would just be fun to talk about how we make the show and what goes into it and uh i guess the in and outs of the sponge chunks week to week yeah, it's it's funny because I was listening to episode one the other day, um, just in in context of it being episode one hundred and kind of seeing how much has changed and how much has stayed the same. And I think the structure of the show, aside from adding listener email, was basically the same. So I feel like it's it's kind of nice to have a conversation about Minecraft every week, um, even though we're both you know streamers and content creators ourselves. We tend to always have something to talk about and just checking in with how those projects are going digesting everything and sharing it with the community has always been one of my favorite parts of of doing this show um i think it's fun to have a discussion about the news every week and to their credit mojang has been very good at providing us with news every week with the regular snapshots uh and and other things that are highlighted on minecraft.net the introduction of stuff like minecraft dungeons has been really interesting getting to explore you know a new dimension of the game in that sense and and in the, the i was going to say in three dimensions but now it kind of it, it it minecraft's already in three dimensions uh thinking about minecraft earth the ar dimension that minecraft earth has added was a, a fun distraction for a while there as well so there have been some some really great changes really great additions to the game and to the community over the last two years of doing this podcast and it has always been a pleasure i agree it to me, it's one of those things where I'm probably going to do this anyway. Like, I'm probably going to talk to friends about Minecraft for an hour or more <laughs> yes. a week anyway. And Depending so, on who those friends are, they're going to be like, oh, this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. This is the, he, Johnny likes to talk about Minecraft. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, no, I knew that, um, I mean, I having been a, a podcaster for a, a lot longer than, than two years, uh, I started the Sigil Cafe in 2011. And, uh, and having listened to a lot of podcasts, been a part of others, I was part of, um, comics coast to coast for several years. I think I did a couple hundred episodes with them as well. And, um, I was actually thinking about this this morning, which is how many podcast episodes have I made, not just of the spawn chunks, but like all cumulative. And it's coming up on four digits. I think if you could put all of the shows that I've done together, it's mm -hmm. not quite there, but it would be, it would be a larger number that I maybe want to see written down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, it's a, it, it started off as a fun hobby, but it's turned into part of my job. Uh, and I love that. And it's, um, it's in two, it's in two parts. It's one because of the supportive and incredible community that, um, we've been able to cultivate and have come out to support us on the sponge chunks, but also, the content coming from Mojang Studios, as you mentioned, is just like, not only was Minecraft new to me and consuming my brain, but I sort of felt that Minecraft was on an uptick and I don't know if I really realized it at the time. I think it was when I maybe first got wind of 
the 113 release and what that was going to entail. And that I was just like, wait a minute, this, this is an ongoing thing. Like this has got some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just ongoing content, you know, from this, from the developers. It's got momentum at that stage. Momentum. Yes, 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 yes. And of course I had been a fan of yours, um, doing a lot of research and stuff about Minecraft. I think you were still on Decidedly Vanilla at the time. Yes. Yeah. uh, Decidedly Vanilla started, uh, its fifth season concurrent with me starting the Minecraft survival guide and both of those when one thirteen launched so it, it was it was funny to hear me still talking about this server that i used to be a part of and still chat to the the other crew behind the scenes but we've all kind of gone our separate ways since then and mm. uh yeah the the early days of the update aquatic being uh yeah everyone kind of settling in and getting used to it um you're still playing on the same server that you were two years ago the citadel has gone through several iterations since then but you were upgrading your server from 1.12 and so you know you're still you're still playing in the same world that you were all those years ago as well. How does that feel? Uh, it's good. It's it feels very familiar. Um, there are some struggles with like what to do and where to go next because I've been in the mood to do some technical stuff, but then I kind of have all the farms. You know, like we don't really need a lot right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's more to. I, sh- I shouldn't say that. We didn't until another update happened. Now there's uh-huh. lots to do. But yeah. but previous to that, all the overworld farms, she was like, well, I have a chicken farm. I don't need like a pork farm. You know, like it's just, yes, I don't have one, but do I necessarily need to build one? So there's that. Um, but I, I, I build more. Uh, when I'm in the mood for technical, I am kind of like, well, we kind of have all the things. But when I'm not in the mood for technical, obviously there's a lot of really cool areas. We lucked out and have a really nice seed. There's a lot of really fun areas. Um, and because we've decided to all agree on the implementation of command blocks and teleportation from large like 4,000 to 9,000 block distances to build the medieval realm or the sci-fi realm or whatever it is we're going to do um, that that has kind of relit my creative juices to the point where now I just don't know where I want to go I log into the servers like what am I in the mood for do I want to go to the modern city do I want to start the medieval stuff we'll see so so that's been cool um, I think the thing that I um, remember most about starting this bunch chunks and then also having the Citadel around, uh, cause the Citadel was a year old when we started the spawn chunks is that, um, not only has the, the news been consistent week to week from, from Mojang, but the updates have been pretty consistent starting with around one thirteen. Uh, it was, that's kind of when we started to get the like big update summer, smaller update Christmas sort of mm-hmm. cycle. It's not, the dates are not exact and and it's still, I think obviously they flex to when things are done or when they need to be released. But I I found it, it good for the server because really every six months you get some new content. And I play all the time as long, uh, along with a couple of other people, but there are some other folks that don't because they can't. And, but then when something comes out, you know, like when I showed Megan pictures of the nether, she's like, what, <laughs> what is that? Cause she yeah. doesn't keep up with the news cycle. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I found interesting about the doing the spawn chunks week to week is that we'll talk about the new features coming out snapshot to snapshot release right up until they're here. And we already know everything. We haven't necessarily seen it in game or played with it, but we've certainly talked about it in at least a show note form. Yeah. And it's, while it's cool to be on the cusp of all of that, I do find sometimes that I have to live vicariously through my friends on the server seeing stuff for the first time because I've seen it weeks and weeks and weeks in advance. Um, 
And I know I've heard about that from other podcasters that cover things like World of Warcraft and like things that have a lot of development and they get news and interviews. But then when it actually comes out, they're like, they're excited, but it's also not like they've kind of been eat, sleeping and breathing it for weeks. <laughs> so it's not the same. Um, but yeah, I'm, I really hats off to the current momentum of Minecraft. And I feel like it's really been, it, there could not have been a better time, in my opinion, to start uh, a Minecraft podcast than two years ago, because um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I had you on the Citadel Cafe. It was episode 261. It's called Pixel Riffs and Hockey Sticks. And uh, the thumbnail is actually a picture of one of your obelisks from, I think it was Decidedly Vanilla. Um, yeah, season four. The uh, yeah. jung jungle lake with all of the kind of um, like Horizon Zero Dawn inspired robots and stuff. Yeah. And, like yeah. robot dinosaurs. And that was well ahead of us starting. Uh, that was in February of 2018. And then we didn't start the, the podcast until... Uh, until august and i think i had you on another time in between that i can't remember what it was for maybe it was another it would have been another 200 episode but it's not coming up in my search but there was another time when i had you on and i i think it was the idea of there wasn't any other minecraft podcast running at the time in 2018 uh there were some archives they were like three to five years old uh, and much to the conversation that we had in the render distance, they were really vulgar. Like it wasn't yeah. <laughs> an easy listening show. So I thought, wow, there is a hole here for a family-friendly, all-inclusive content podcast about Minecraft. And uh, I'm I'm really glad that we did it. It's it's 100 episodes. Podcasts hit 100 episodes quite often. There there seems to be a big celebration on YouTube when people hit 100 episodes. But podcasts, well, it's a nice landmark and it's good to reflect. It's not like the be all end all like because people hit the 100 episodes on podcasts all the time and but it's for this particular show because of the level of support it gets and the the amount of fun that i have that we have making it i just I, i'm really happy that it's something that has uh not survived but something has just shown its its test of time you know like it's it's not going anywhere anytime soon and that's that's a good feeling i like i like that it's it's something that we can continuously make that's fun and from what we've heard and from our inbox has value for people which is great yeah absolutely in in the time since we have started minecraft it has also become the world's best-selling game uh it was on that trajectory already and we knew that for certain but it has eclipsed uh tetris which i believe was previously the world's best-selling game and has now risen to you know it, it's peak but not necessarily it's peak because i feel like the popularity of minecraft has the potential to continue to grow and so yeah th this is in theory you know this this could have been a short series of a podcast it could have just been like hey let's make like 10 to 12 episodes about minecraft and how we feel about it but since the game keeps coming the episodes keep coming as well it definitely feels like one of those things that can sustain itself now which is is really awesome and I think our workflow has adapted a little bit so that we can sustain it. The quality of the show has gone up and, you know, my transition into being a full-time Minecraft content creator has allowed me to invest a little bit more money in equipment and a little bit more time in projects like the podcast. And I feel like that has, has kind of shown. We always started with like a good quality product to begin with because I had a background in recording and you'd done podcasting for, you know, close to a decade. And I think we've we've just kind of gone from 
a strong position to an even stronger position at this point which which is very cool i think you wanted to cover a little bit about the process of making the podcast for folks who haven't listened into any of our patreon content where occasionally we'll do uh, quarterly hangouts that take a look behind the scenes of how the podcast is doing and we can kind of clue people in a little bit towards our our process of of making the show but should we should we talk to people about um about like how we make the show just for anybody who might be interested yeah i think so i think we can get the technical stuff out of the way quickly because that's going to be the first thing people ask um uh, the mic that i use is a blue microphone yeti and uh, it's actually showing its age it's about eight years old or more probably well i've I've had it since i started the citadel cafe so it's nine years old at least salt of the um, earth microphones though I feel yeah like a, a lot of uh, people end up using yetis well anything i mean yes it costs me around 150 canadian when i bought it but if it lasts me nine years that's a tech i'll invest in thank you very much um mm-hmm. it's it's plug and play like it's it's um it's it's pretty pretty good um any recording issues that i've had over the years have been more software related um so uh speaking of uh i record my audio on my end uh with uh, a piece of software from my mac called audio hijack it's from rogue amoeba and it's around 30 bucks uh it might be a little bit steep if you're just starting off podcasting but as someone that's been doing it for 10 years it was worth the 30 dollars to have virtual audio routing on my machine i could if i wanted to import sound from you know youtube or you know live stuff i could do a bunch of a bunch of different things but really what it allows me to do is record um both my track johnny's track and a combo track uh johnny only needs my individual track that he edits in later but having two backups running at the exact same time is uh, just a great great idea in case bad things happen you know the internet does go down discord does get you know choppy sometimes so it's nice uh, to have those files uh on hand um and then so that's me for the technical so what like what are you doing for the technical side technically uh (laughs) technically i'm using uh sure sm7b which is the microphone i use for all of my youtube stuff uh going through an analog desk via usb connection to my computer from there all of the sound goes into obs where i record my microphone track isolated from desktop audio which is basically everything else that goes on on my pc but in this case is just the discord call with you and once you send me your audio i can sync up the uh the audio track that you send me with what you've said in the desktop audio track i've recorded that all goes into adobe premiere pro which is what i use to edit video and is also just an editor that i functionally know my way around very easily so that leads to a very comfortable editing workflow for me it's probably not what professionals might use quote-unquote professionals because what are we if not professionals joel uh <laughs> it's what um video editors will typically use to to do their stuff and i find it a perfectly serviceable audio editor it can export to any kind of audio format you want and so once i've done editing tweaking a little bit adding the intro and outro music then uh, i just send the audio off to you as a finished episode for you to add all of the metadata and upload it to the podcast feeds and as far as editing the show i really don't cut very much out there may occasionally be vocal stumbles that we want to do a second take of and that's usually done live in the moment and our discord audience gets to hear all of that stuff they really get to find out how the sausage is made in that sense but we don't tend to cut out large areas of the discussion we don't tend to edit for time in terms of the amount of content that goes into the show which is why our episode lengths vary wildly if we've had 
a longer discussion that day, then the entire discussion goes into the episode and we don't tend to cut anything for time, really, unless there was just something that we really thought, well, that was entirely relevant, uh, irrelevant tangent. Let's take that out. Um, and then once the, the episode is topped and tailed, as it were, and split into the render distance, which is the version that goes out to patrons on the patron RSS feed, and the spawn chunks, which is the main show I'm sure most of you are used to hearing, that all goes over to Joel and Joel prepares it for upload. So once I get the recorded um, episodes, uh, I create the blog post and uh, I use WordPress uh, in a combination with a theme called Divi, which uh, I work with a developer professionally as, as a designer. So I've got access to Divi through their uh, multi-license, but I have it on all my websites just because it's an easy theme to work with, especially because it allows you to have some templates. And so I have an episode template that has like empty news section, empty email section, empty discussion section, and I just fill in the blanks. I take the notes from our Google Doc and I move it over to the show notes. I add the MP3 once it has like the metadata tags, like the description and the author and the title. And I put that into, uh, it's called Blueberry, uh, Blueberry without the E's and the, and the U's. Uh, and it, um, it, th that podcasting plugin for WordPress creates the RSS feed and it's that RSS feed that is then sent to Spotify, iTunes, the Android Google play store. Uh, it's on the website and Stitcher is the other one. So there's a bunch of different places that all get the same feed. So it's great for me. I only have to do the one thing, make the blog post, make sure it's in the podcast category and hit publish done goes to all the places that most people get their podcasts uh, the only separate thing that i have to do is the patreon post the patreon page it has a really cool feature that has its own rss feed and that allows us to have both the spawn chunks and the render distance on an rss feed so patrons can subscribe to the rss feed on the patreon page and then the same way that you would get a podcast from your itunes or from you know uh, in your podcast app say on your phone you can subscribe to the RSS feed from the Patreon page and get the render distance right on your phone if you're a patron. And so it's the same experience. You just have to do one extra step uh, to log in and, and get that RSS feed. And then you have um, the option to, to have both. And I've, I've done that before with other podcasts that I support where I don't have time that week to listen to their full extended version. And I have both on the phone because I subscribe to the RSS feed. Um, and then um, before I, I obviously push publish, I do have to make the show art. So I do the, the title card every week. I usually just pop into a, a, a Minecraft world that's just called Spun Chunks title cards. And I just fly around, look for a cool spot that's relevant, maybe spawn in some mobs that we might've talked about on the show uh, and, and take a screenshot. I do mess around a little bit with it in Photoshop just because especially lately where the nether is such a dark biome, uh, I, I will often um, add a little um color correction or brighten things up a little bit so it's a nice clear thumbnail uh so when we when we um post it online we've got something cool uh the reason we do that is because most people click on links that have photos or images with them yeah uh, and so that helps uh and then also uh the, the show goes on to youtube but that's you so that after it's all published on on the on the website i then send the show art back to johnny and then he puts it on on youtube Yes, and so if you're one of the folks who listens on YouTube, that's kind of my responsibility because I know the back end of YouTube pretty well at this point. So yeah, it just gets uploaded the same way a regular video does, except I've imported it into Premiere Pro one last time with the full show attached to a timeline that just cycles between the Spawn Chunks title art and whatever the 
episode art is for that week and that just gets uploaded as a video which is surprisingly large given that there's only like two images <laughs> in the entire yeah. video but it's an hour plus worth of audio so i guess that's where all of the data comes in but then that gets uploaded to the youtube feed usually the same day depending on how late in the day we get to publish the main show and that's the uh, the entire process more or less in a nutshell except it's not because occasionally we like to have guests on the show and guests while they are lovely to have also introduce like you know scheduling things that we have to work out and how to get their audio where all of our guests thus far have been very kind enough to record their microphones isolated in the same way that joel and i do so they can get their audio over to me and they've always made it a very smooth process and at 100 episodes i think it should be it's a good thing to thank all of the guests that we've had on the show up to yes. this point. It's been a pleasure to talk to folks from Hermitcraft, folks from the wider Minecraft survival and creative community, Minecraft and education folks like Adam Clark, um, server owners who've been, you know, plugging away at stuff for a while, like Fix It. And, you know, we've had Azuma, we've had Grian, we've had some pretty big names in the YouTube scene on the show. And it's it's always fascinating to talk to new people, hear their approach to Minecraft, hear their philosophy about producing minecraft content or just playing the game in general and what minecraft means to them and that aside it is an absolute delight to be receiving listener emails by the bucket load at this point to the extent that we've had to have help with our email inbox so that we can make sure that we can filter out the 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 right sort of emails that we want to read on the show the kind of stuff that's going to lead to an interesting discussion and it's been great to have a community that supports us in that way so thank you listeners for that Oh, 100%. Like it, it is mind boggling the amount of email. Like I just, I just did not have time <laughs> to, to read it all. Um, but, but speaking of thank yous, actually, that, that brings up a good point. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Anagram and Cosmic Dancer, the mods in our Discord Twitch, uh, Discord uh, channel, um, because uh, they are fantastic at welcoming new members. Something else that happens at a rate that I can't keep up with, which is phenomenal. Uh, but it means that there's a lot of people that need to have like, hey, here are the rules. Welcome on board. Just read this before you get going. And this goes here and that goes there. You'll find it in general. Please don't hesitate to ask. But I always find the welcoming community in our Discord to be super awesome. But uh, I know that Anagram and Cosmic are the ones that are setting the example for that, uh, as well as other members. But there's too many to, to thank. But the, mod, the mods are doing a, a fantastic job. Uh, the, um, the thing that I was wondering about, about your process is how do you get ready for the show? Like what, what does your prep for the spawn chunks look like? Uh, adding stuff to the show notes and making a cup of tea usually, you know, <laughs> aside from just making sure that my room is as it usually is when I record the doors closed, the windows are closed. If I can bear to, it's kind of warm lately. So I haven't really been <laughs> shutting my window for like soundproofing as often as usual, but yeah, typically, like, a lot of the stuff that's in the show notes is stuff that I've looked through throughout the week anyway because of my, you know, I have a vested interest in making sure I know what's going on in Minecraft. So this almost feels second nature to me at this point, typing up a couple of thoughts about how I feel about various things. And in a sense, whenever I chat about this stuff in videos or on streams, I'm keeping a mental note of, oh, that'd be fun to bring up on the spawn chunks. So yeah. I feel like that is now part of my process now. This show is sort of folded into the ecosystem of everything else I do in this game. And it's it's easy enough to just pop into the show notes and type in a couple of thoughts. How about you? Do you do anything anything special? Do you have like a ritual do you go through before you start the show? Uh, well, the show notes, is Im they're important to me. I've been a little bit late to the game lately. I've been getting, getting to them Monday morning. Normally, I'd have them um, ready and, and I trickle some ideas in. I've gotten into the habit 
uh, both the podcasts that I do to just like quickly open up a Google Doc and when I have a thought, put it in, close the Google Doc and then just expand on it later. It's just so I don't forget what I wanted to say. Um, it's easier with Minecraft. It's harder with the Citadel Cafe because you have to remember like specific things about films or television that you're watching and things like that. Um, but but with this, it's um, like you said, I have a vested interest in it as well. Um, but usually what happens on Wednesdays, if there is a snapshot or pre-release, uh, that will come out and I will hear about it either on Twitter or I'll notice things on YouTube, people talking about it. Uh, and then I will um, start to formulate, you know, what I want to talk about on the show coming in that week. Um, but uh, two of the go-tos that I that I cannot fail to mention are Azumavoid um, and Sliced Lime. Uh, I'll read the patch notes, but I rely on YouTube videos, those two videos, to explain some of the more technical stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're fantastic resources for those snapshot um, upkeep. So um, that that's kind of like my behind the curtains. Like, yes, I do the research, and I yes, I do read the, the patch notes, but but I totally watch YouTube videos. It's like the Coles notes version. It's like here's this thing that are you know, it's like here are the things that are probably going to matter to players, and then here is some of the technical stuff that you might not have understood from just the patch notes. And it just kind of gets me in a position where I feel I can talk about this stuff from both sides of the coin. Uh, yeah. And I and I I like that those videos are are a part of the weekly ritual too, because obviously I, I enjoy both content creators. So that's cool too. Um, but then I try to bring things in during the week. I try not to do it all at once. Um, the email thing, that's a matter of um, the email being filed into a bunch of different categories um, and then me going in and trying to find something that is either one, a response to the previous episode. I'll try to include those if and when I can. Uh, or something that is going to generate a conversation at which point it might get flagged for like this might be better for a round table you know yeah uh, or uh if it's a quick hit now today is a different example because it was episode 100 and we had some stuff that was relevant that was short but if they're really short emails like hey what do you think about this new thing like netherite pickaxe or whatever it is then those go into a folder for um the chunk mail dispenser which is the every third week in the month we have a special episode that's been unlocked by our uh, Patreon support, which is we we skip the discussion section and we just do for the last half of the show, we just do all listener email. We try to get through as many as possible. And so we just try to get the ones that are good ideas, but are also short. Uh, and that just means we can just bang through them a lot faster. And so so that's usually what happens. It's usually the weekend. I start thinking about emails um, and then come Monday, I make sure I usually try to make sure that the notes I'm writing in the notes on Monday morning, but I usually have like a a bullet form or something throughout the week. Yeah, and sticking to a structure like this has been super helpful for the first 100 episodes of this podcast and I imagine we will <laughs> we'll continue to keep the same show notes format for the last for, for for the next, you know, 100 and more because it feels like it's uh, it's done pretty well for us so far. And so I guess on to the next 100. <laughs> we'll we'll see how we're feeling about it come episode 200 and what space Minecraft will be in, who knows, but I expect we'll be looking down the barrel of update 1.20 or something like that along those lines at that point. So 
looking forward to the future of Minecraft and the Spawn Chunks as ever. Cheers! Here's to 100 episodes, and thank you all so much for listening to the Spawn Chunks. That's going to be it for our main episode today. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is prouder than ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in. If you've enjoyed listening to The Render Distance, and you'll get a little bit more of that in the post-show, consider joining up at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. You can join our community listen to the render distance every week and get access to our patrons only discord chat it also gets us closer to improving the offering for patrons which includes a monthly audio hangout which is our next milestone goal where we just hang out every month with our discord uh, folks much the same way we record the show but just having a chat with them about what they're up to in minecraft and sharing screenshots and just having a kind of roundtable discussion with them we currently have 202 patrons, which is another increase from last week, but there is always room for more. And special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, without whose generous support some of this, I'm not going to say all of this, but a great deal of this might not be possible. Thank you to Cameron Sigelski, Greena Kanuk, JD Williamson, and Yitz for your support on this episode and every other episode you've supported. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, this is The Spawn Chunks, and this is where you can go to listen to it. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, and leave us a star rating on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or whatever platform you're using. Podcast reviews are a great way for people that are looking for the show but don't know the name of it to find a show about Minecraft. The better that it's reviewed, the more new listeners that we can find. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page and that is where the patrons can listen to the render distance, but this week, you get it too. My name is Johnny. Online, I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Pixlriffs, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, is at thecitadelcafe.com. And you can follow me on social media at joelduggan. And I will point you towards twitch.tv slash joelduggan, where I did the tour of the Infinity Cove patron server this weekend and played in a lot of Satisfactory. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Onwards to the next century! <laughs> and this is the post show <laughs> yes we're which, here we made it yes which once again uh thank you so much for tuning in for the entire show if you are a regular listener listening to the regular feed of the podcast or perhaps listening in on youtube uh we typically hang out for another 10 to 15 minutes after the show is done just to chat about whatever else is on our minds or anything that we feel like we've omitted from the show notes because sometimes we take so many notes we can't fit it all into what we think a reasonable show would be and sometimes there's a listener email that we think maybe we'll save this for afterwards it makes for a good discussion that we can continue in our discord chat or in this case joel is going to tell us uh, a little bit more about what you've been doing in satisfactory because I, I know you're keen to discuss it 
So something that really came to mind this weekend, because I've reached the point in Satisfactory with the game where I'm planning train routes. Mm-hmm. And these things are massive. Like I just, the, the train engine itself is, I don't know, eight meters by four meters. Like it, it's a big, you know, and it's about Minecraft scale in terms of how this game works too. So like you think like, you know, eight blocks by four blocks, but it's a single thing that rolls around the world. And it's, uh, it's really complicated in terms of like trying to get the trains to line up. And because you need so much room for these things, because they don't make, um, right angle turns like minecarts in minecraft uh they they take um let's see four was it yeah it's four by so it's like a 16 meter area to make a right angle turn because it has to do an arc like it has to do like a curve so yeah it's it's interesting Uh, no 12 12 12 meters that that does still seem quite reasonable <laughs> in oh, a yeah. way. Oh, it, you know, you in real life, large... it's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in real life, it's reasonable. But you get used to like your your Minecraft brain going into Satisfactory. It's like, oh, I can't make a, a you know, because all the other things in the game, the roads you can make right angle turns, just like Minecraft, right? The 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 foundations are much larger. They're they're eight by eight meters, I guess. But but the um. Yeah, the 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 tracks and stuff are huge um, because things in this game are just big. Like everything is yeah. just larger than life, which is fun. Um, but th- it made me think like how much I wish that there was a better minecart system, like that things worked just a little bit better, that it was a better form of travel. Like for example, trains in Satisfactory are the fastest vehicle. Yeah. Like you're on rails, you can't go everywhere you want. You have to build the road first, but it is the fastest way to go in terms of land travel. And so, you know, it made me think about like, I've been in the mood to do something technical in Minecraft forever because of all the technical stuff I'm doing in Satisfactory. Um, but I'm really enjoying the, the expansion into trains and like moving stuff around. And I wish that there was ways in Minecraft that you could see more. Like I know with some people's storage systems, like they'll have glass walls so that you can see the items going through on the water streams. And I do that when I can. I just wish there was more like that in minecraft i know that there's some mods and stuff that i could maybe try out but it's it's one of those things that i i'm getting a lot of the satisfactory i'm not i mean i'm not done with minecraft obviously i'm i'm enjoying both but i'm playing about the same i think i'm putting about the same amount of time into both games right now mm-hmm. and um i'm finding that i'm getting a lot of inspiration as well from satisfactory it's a much l- more limited palette you don't have as many different blocks and parts as you do in, in Minecraft, but it's also a game that's currently in development. It's not even out yet. It's early access. Um, so it makes me wonder like down the line, what could be in store for satisfactory once it reaches a release date, you know, and has, um, all the content in it. Um, but something that, um, I think satisfactory scratches an itch that Minecraft doesn't is the speed at which you can build massive stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, the train platform has got to be, oh gosh, a hundred, you know, foundations by 50 foundations. So like it's 800 by, you know, 600 meters sort of things in Minecraft, like big, 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 big. And I put it together in like an hour, <laughs> you know, like, the, you know, just, just the, the flat part of it. I mean, the, the technical stuff is going to take a lot longer, but the, the laying out the foundations and filling stuff in does not take that that long you know yeah. it's kind of like a sip a sip a, a drink at the in the evening and just kind of mess around with it before you go to bed and it's done sort of thing um the technical stuff in satisfactory the sitting down and figuring out the puzzles of this thing is making 45 items a minute 
It has to be split into three so that each of the other machines get 15 things a minute. They're spitting something else out that you have to send somewhere else. I love that aspect of the game. It has a real puzzle quality to it, but that stuff takes an eon. Like yeah. the game is just, I swear to you, if you're watching one of my satisfactory streams, 45 minutes of it cumulatively, not all at once, but 45 minutes of it is me staring and thinking. <laughs> uh, at, yeah. Not not just blankly, but like we're looking around a build and just trying to parse out like what's the best way to approach this? How many buildings do we need? Where do we put the stuff when we're done? Uh, and so it's been really fun. And I'm, I'm at that stage now in Satisfactory where I am comfortable enough with all of the game mechanics. And I remember reaching this point in Minecraft too, where I'm now attempting something massive where I'm building Devastator, the, the, the big factory that's going to essentially eat the world and make all the things. And I've decided to go 80s Transformer themed. So <laughs> if, you're, right, yeah. if you're familiar at all with Devastator, Devastator was, the, he was the big guy in town back when I was six. Uh, there's a lot bigger sense, but uh, Devastator was all of the construction, the, all the Constructicons the backhoe and the bulldozer and stuff. And they all combined five of them into one giant robot where like each robot would make a leg or an arm or a torso. I'm Googling uh, this as we speak. And there's a very neon green and purple aesthetic yep. going on here. Neon green and purple. Like it is. And Satisfactory has that kind of mood to it where like you can paint things, whatever you want. You're not mm -hmm. there to make friends with trees. You're there to mow things down essentially. And yep. so while you want things to look pretty, <clears throat> You also have the ability to just kind of like do whatever you want. And what's cool about Satisfactory is that the the paint gun, you can have preloaded colors. And once you uh, change one of those preloaded colors, it will change everything you've already painted as well. And yeah. there's, a there's a default kind of like classic factory orange and gray. And if you change the default, then everything you build from now on will be painted that color. And only when you want to change it, do you, can you, you know, do you have to change it? So I'm going to mess around with the default eventually and get like this neon green. I may not go that neon, but I'm going to go green and purple. And I'm in the rocky desert zone, which is all kind of brown and blue. So it's really going to stand out. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of an eyesore, but kind of awesome at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and, and so because you have control over the color, it gives the, the limited amount of blocks and textures that you have a higher range because imagine in Minecraft, if you basically had an RGB slider for uh, blocks, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. just the, the, the palette would be endless. And that's what this is. It's like, you do only have a few textures of metal walls that you can put up, but you can change them to every color in the rainbow, which is cool. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And it's, it's just got me thinking about like when I was in, I want to say it was, after I did the Guardian Farm, once I started to get beacons, I'm trying to think about the biggest build that I did. Probably my Nether Hub. But I would say it was probably a solid year of playing on the Citadel before I reached um, a comfort level in Minecraft where I'm just like, yeah, I can handle anything. Like, it's going to be big and I have to plan it, but if I, I, can, I can figure it out. And... That's about when I, I started to feel really comfortable with the game and things really started to come together quickly. And, and I really had a vision. And, I, and then I was hooked. Once I knew that I could handle big things in Minecraft and, and complicated redstone project, then I was like, okay. Then the world just kind of opened up to me. And it's no longer, 
I have to watch a tutorial or I want to do this, but I don't know how. Now I kind of like, I know the general how. I may have to go into some details, but but with Minecraft, like I'm very, very comfortable. And I'm just on the edge of that with Satisfactory. There are still some things I don't understand because I haven't long unlocked all the tech tier yet. So nuclear power is there. I know it exists. I know there are some complications with it, but I haven't messed with it yet. So I don't know the ins and outs. Same with aluminum production. I haven't gotten there yet because I kind of ran out of room in my, my current factory design. So I'm just, I'm really excited about this and it's making me want to do more technical factory stuff in Minecraft, but yet there, I have to do it in the overworld if I want to move items around efficiently. Uh, and I'm just trying to think about like what cool, like minecart transportation, almost Rube Goldberg, because that's the idea behind satisfactory. Like you can make things really clean and straight if you want to, but if you wanted to have spaghetti nonsense, you can, it looks mad. It looks wonderful. Good luck troubleshooting it, <laughs> but, yeah. but it, but it looks really, really fun. And I've seen some people that have done playthroughs where on purpose, they are just like, they send the track in a loop to loop just because like just, just because they want to send the conveyor belt up and over something just because they can. Uh, yeah. And in the end, when you do that for hours and hours, it looks fantastic. But have you played yeah. satisfactory at all? Or have you only just seen it? Seen I've, it online? I've still not. And I have a, uh, an inkling that other games like that are just going to eat my life and I will, <laughs> I, I will want yep. to play less Minecraft if I get into something that feels like fresh and new and interesting and yeah. that's that's the problem that I face as a Minecraft creator sort of career wise now is not wanting to allow myself to get too distracted because if my motivation for Minecraft drops then I end up you know not playing the game for a couple of months and then that's you know, the, a large portion of my audience that I'm letting down and a large portion of my career kind of, you know, slipping into something different. And I, I don't know what that looks like for me. Um, but yeah, it it's really interesting hearing you describe it because you're talking about, you know, obviously you can build some really big stuff pretty quickly in Satisfactory, but I get the sense that with the train stuff as an example, that really only does one thing. I mean, it might carry a lot of stuff and, you know, you might be able to transport yourself around very easily using it, but, like, it is designed just to be a train station. I feel like everything, because of the, the nature of the game, and this is absolutely not a criticism of games like Satisfactory, but everything is designed to have a discrete function, mm -hmm. whereas everything in Minecraft is designed to have an abstract function and it's all put together from so many small pieces instead of like satisfactory or probably a game i'm slightly more familiar with no man's sky you get enough yes. of two or three material components and then you build one giant like cube of storage or one giant cube of base that you can just plop down and it looks roughly the same as usual and while, yeah, you can apply creativity by connecting it in different ways and sort of setting up segments of it in different ways, you're working on a much larger scale than you are in Minecraft, whereas Minecraft, the minutia is everything and everything is a block at a time. So it takes you a lot longer to produce something, but in the end, you end up producing something that doesn't look like the components everybody else has in a way, or like you've used blocks in a way that very few other people have unless you were copying somebody else's tutorial or build block for block. So yeah. like it's it's really interesting hearing the ways in which the other games have kind of made themselves different but still allow for the creativity to come in how you lay everything out and whether it 
becomes something hyper efficient and the creativity is from like how all of that stuff is enabled to work at its highest level of function versus the stuff that is a bit more creative and you know madcap like stuff flying everywhere jetson's world of tomorrow kind of style thing where everything's going through tubes in the sky for no apparent reason like i think it's it's really interesting applying stuff like that and and again, that's stuff that is all technically possible in Minecraft, but you have to make several leaps of imagination in order for you to get there, mm. and you have to put as much time into acquiring resources for that as you probably put into, like, the entire satisfactory playthrough. <laughs> it's just you mining yeah. sand in a desert somewhere so you can have enough glass or whatever. Yeah, I, I think, too, the thing that I like so much about water systems in Minecraft and, and item transport stuff and, and what happens in satisfactory is movement. Yeah. And movement is very often missing from Minecraft. They've done leaps lately in 113 and onward that include more of it. Bees, for example, ambient stuff flying around, fox scurrying around. Like there's there's more movement now in Minecraft than there ever was. Uh, but when you're building stuff in Minecraft, it tends to be pretty still unless you're using pistons to move things around. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's sing single blocks with animations is about what you get. It's like a furnace having the kind of fire crackling yeah. animation in front of it is as, yeah. as kinetic as it gets in Minecraft yeah. without uh, a lot of player input. Yeah, campfires are another really great example for, yeah. for animated ambience and stuff. And with Satisfactory, once you've got things moving, everything is just always moving. And so it's um, a little bit of a, a, a slam on your computer sometimes, depending on how busy mm -hmm. your computer factory is but yeah but which but that's also like i don't have the best pc um but it, it i've seen other people play it and it, it looks just mad but what i what i find so um interesting now and this is where i find that i'm at that level where i am now running into situations where the power pole that they give you in satisfactory is a power pole it is the size of a stop sign roughly mm -hmm. uh maybe a little bit taller that's it that's all you get so if you want to move power across the map or if you want to move power 40 feet down the factory, it's the same thing. And so I'm trying to, I'm arbitrarily building giant power poles because I want the power thing. I want my power line that goes across the map to be one, visible from a distance, and two, look like a big power line, like look like yeah. the ones that you'd see kind of like in, in you know, our world yeah and, like electricity pylons like running yeah. across a, a field somewhere or yeah, whatever, yeah big 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 things you know 40 feet tall uh and so in the process of doing that i'm then now combining because you don't get anything thicker you, so i'm trying to combine different components that are all meant for other things um uh, uh what are they called um conveyor lifts and conveyor poles and conveyor stackable poles and putting them like at the base kind of like piling stuff up at the bottom of these power poles to try and beef up the bottom of it so it looks like more substantial like this is an important power pole <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. it powers the thing next to it no take note and so that's why i'm i think i'm just hitting that stride with satisfactory where i'm using things like pipes that are meant to move water across the map but i'm using them to make it look like you've ratcheted something to the side of a mountain you know and that's that's where i think the creative fun kind of comes in and you, your base and your factory builds start to look very different from everyone else like i watched a video online the other day where somebody was building circles in satisfactory i was like how on earth do you build circles and basically it's just a matter of building these foundations at the right angle because everything this is where satisfactory has some shortcomings compared to minecraft there's no coordinate system there's a compass, but there's no coordinates and there's no Y value. You can never tell, like I say Y value, there's no vertical value. You can never tell what height you're on. You're using an inflatable pocket dimension and you're basically assembling things at the speed of light 
and yet you can't tell how high you are. <laughs> and so when you're <laughs> there's, trying there's to no line like things up, depth meter or anything. No, yeah. when you're trying to line things up across a large distance, you're like, oh, I guess I have to build a thousand meters of concrete slabs to get there to make sure. Oh, I'm I'm glad I did that because I'm two foundations higher than I think I should be. So stuff like that is a little bit tedious. Um, but uh, what what's um, what's nice about like I can't remember where I was going with this. Um, the, the flexibility of it is that it has the same um, no gravity as Minecraft. So if you build a foundation up in the air and you move stuff around it, nothing happens. It just floats mm -hmm. there. And so you can get into some cool stuff with like um, building, like you could essentially build something that looked like it had like repulsor engines or something. So it'd be like a floating platform. Um, the way that they get around is just really fun. And I just, I really enjoy the juxtaposition and I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I am getting more and more inspired to do cool things in Minecraft, um, by building in satisfactory. I just, I, I, and this is a, it's never going to happen. It would be something I'd have to find a mod, but I would love that if there would be some sort of conveyor belt or other way to move stuff around that you could see. Uh, I wish that in Minecraft, if you had a minecart that was full of stuff instead of a minecart chest, you had a minecart with just the texture of the thing in it. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? I, like, so if you, if you had a minecart with a grass with that was full of grass, it would have a grass block in it. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just the single grass block is fine. But same, then to same see with that like go back. Barrels with contents and like being able to open a barrel and actually have the item inside it kind of. Yeah. The same sort of aesthetic. Yeah. That kind of a thing. It would just, there's just little things that you think like, man, that would just, that would make minecarts. Basically, I just go back to minecarts. It's like the combination of trains and conveyor belts and satisfactory is is kind of like where I land on on um on on minecarts in in Minecraft right now. Like I just I, I I'm itching for them to have more content, and I'm I'm wondering. I know that it's, we haven't mentioned it too much on the show, but they've there's been all these rumblings in the community about a, a quote unquote cave update, but. I'm less excited about a cave update, but I would be very excited about a cave update, including updates to minecarts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, which would go hand in hand, right? Yeah, a, a mining update of some kind would, mm, would definitely mm -hmm. be the, the ticket. And uh, two things before we wrap up here, because I know we are basically at our our usual time. Yes. Um, first of all, I'm fairly certain a conveyor belts mod in Minecraft has already been made. Yes, um, I think it has too. Be because, of course, like if you can conceive anything in Minecraft, somebody's already made a mod out of it. Uh, but the, the second thing I wanted to say was in regards to the uh, not knowing your character's height in the world, like the y-axis value, I feel like more games should take cues from Terraria in this respect, because Terraria starts you out finding accessories that you can eventually combine, and so you might find a compass which tells you uh, how far to the left or to the right you are. It kind of does it in terms of east-west, but Terraria is a 2D game and a side-scroller, so you kind of find out how far to one direction or the other you are from the center of the world. Then you can sometimes find a depth meter that will tell you how far down in the world you are or how high you are because you can go and visit some islands in the sky uh, if you're lucky enough to find them. But then over the course of the game, you acquire so many of these little informational readouts that eventually you compile all of them into a cell phone. And the cell phone has basically a bunch of apps on it, which you can enable and disable from the heads up display that tell you things like the weather, the wind direction, where is good for fishing, the depth, the height, 
if there is any cable nearby, how many monsters there are, what kind of monsters there are. There's, it, there's, it gets so granular and interesting. And of course, Terraria, we mentioned before, is the kind of the kitchen sink approach where Minecraft is a more conservative and sort of like reserved approach to it. And they've kind of gone with, well, of course, you could turn all of these into a, a, a kind of weird arcane goblin device and then a cell phone. And it all works perfectly well. But uh, yeah, I feel like Satisfactory could use one of those. Satisfactory has some mods, but I've not been playing them because I'm still in my vanilla playthrough. It's one of those things where like, you kind of want to play vanilla Minecraft before you play modded Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I always, I'm still very, very confused by people who are like, I played Minecraft for the first time, so what are the mods? And I'm like, no, stick, stick with the main game for now, mm-hmm. uh, as we will be doing for the next 100 episodes or more, probably. But thank you folks so much for listening to The Render Distance. I hope you've enjoyed today's extended show if you've listened on the main feed. Thanks as ever to our patrons for listening in in Discord. And as always, stay chunky.